Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. Thank you for joining us this week. We're so excited about Jasmine's guest this week. Just two of the most amazing human beings on the planet. And a lot of you are probably already familiar with the work of Genesis Butler, who is truly astounding. And she was on the podcast back on episode 400, but you've probably heard of her in a million other places than just here on our hen house. We're so excited that she is joining us again to update us on her extraordinary work. And it's most especially truly exciting that she will be joined by her mother, Janelle Butler, who, of course, is the, not only the mother of four children, including Genesis, but is an enormous force in and of herself. You you loved this conversation. Yeah, it was really special to talk to both of them together. I, I've loved Genesis for so long, and I've, I've just really gotten such a fondness for Janelle in the, in the scope of getting to know her. And this week on the Flock Bonus segment, I'll be continuing my conversation with Genesis and Janelle. So as always, if you're a Flock member, you'll get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up, or you can always find it on the Flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the Flock and you can afford it, you can join for $10 a month at ourhenhouse.org slash donate. And also, if you're a Flock member, be sure to join us for our first Flock Zoom calls. First Flock Friday, Friday First Flock. Flock. (laughs) Do we need a new name for that? No. (laughs) FFF Zoom calls, which are once a month on the first Friday of the month at 4 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, where we focus on how to be better activists and take care of ourselves. We actually recently had Nico Stubler come on for a a lit up discussion. So that was really cool. And we have some uh, some of your beloved favorite podcast guests coming to some of our upcoming uh, Flock Friday events. So join us. Check the Flock Facebook group for updates or write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. And one more thing, if you are a member of the Flock and you would like to meet with me uh, for a one-on-one to discuss your activism, email Jen at jen at ourhenhouse.org and we'll set that up. Very, very good. We have a lot going on. That conversation with Nico was amazing. If, if, if you didn't catch their interview, you can do it. And I don't remember the number of the episode, but it's a few episodes back. You really want to hear that. And so far, I am now in Rochester. I think I mentioned that last week. And so far, we kind of haven't done any work because we've been going on staycation. Right. We've been on staycation for the last week. It was actually hard for me to you know, make myself do that. And I am so, so very glad that I did. You know, I had this like weird moment a few months ago where uh, someone I know was taking some time off and I kind of made a a mention of it to someone else I know, like, oh, I wish I could just take off. And and this person I was talking to was like, you can. And it was like, that gave me permission to take off. It was hard, you know, I had to like schedule it out. But we decided to do staycation, which happened to coincide with not only your first week in Rochester, but your stuff hasn't even arrived yet. So your house is basically like a hotel for you because it's just like, pristine and there's a few pieces of furniture and, and that's all uh but we basically do you think do you think i should keep it this way definitely cancel the movers cancel them but we did a vegan themed staycation and just sort of a get outside every day themed vacation staycation and it was i thought it was great like i am not ready to go back to work and i want to figure out how i can incorporate some of these these fun outings, which were sometimes very small, you know, back into my life on the regular, 
because life is short and hard and sad and (laughs) (laughs) why not have some moments of joy? We know that you're all miserable and everything's terrible. So so just starting out with that that basic principle, we're here to like cheer you up for two seconds with our stories of our staycation. It was it, it ended up being vegan themed, I think because we're vegan. I hadn't really thought of that in in the beginning, but of course it did. And I think the most vegan thing we did was go to Farm Sanctuary, which is about an hour and a half from where we live here in Rochester. It was the, the week was absolutely gorgeous weather, which I understand is not really always the case. And I'm saying that somewhat charitably from what I've heard. But the day we went to Farm Sanctuary, it did pour, which was not perfect, but the animals were perfect. Yeah, that was our big outing. Everything else was sort of like, you know, go to that cafe or go to, you know, only outdoor space places. But Farm Sanctuary, where where I worked as the campaigns manager, you were on the board many years back. It, it is a place that is a special for us. And so having a tour was truly incredible, like getting to know some of the animals. It's, you know, everyone listening to this knows that that is very invigorating and revitalizing and all of those things. So it was it was a really sweet time. It, it also, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, it also does tinge me with a deep sadness. Like I find it very, very much a sanctuary for me too, for humans too. But then when you leave it, it because you just had the contact with the animals, it, it can be hard to step back into reality. And I'm lucky that everything I do is vegan, explicitly vegan in my life, career-wise too. And so that's good. But it, it, it's a mixed bag, frankly. And I'm glad that we had some other we we had some other fun things that we did too beyond just from sanctuary. Yeah, but before I would leave the topic of Farm Sanctuary, I just wanted to mention that I was completely blown away by they have so many, these gorgeous new barns and this incredible pig uh, habitat with a beautiful new barn. They were able to buy the property next to them, which was super lucky. And they built a beautiful new barn for the pigs. And then the back opens up into this forested area where the pigs can go, go snoodling around or whatever it is the pigs do. Because they do apparently really love being forests. I I was really impressed. Though so there was one thing that I want to put this out there. I don't think they're going to do it. All right, there's this road that it's like a real road, and from that you turn onto the road that goes to Farm Sanctuary, which is sort of a half dirt road, half paved. But at the corner of the real road and and the dirt road, there's a, a house that has a beautiful view, and it's for sale. And I want one of you out there. If Farm Sanctuary isn't going to buy it and open up a vegan coffee shop, restaurant, place, whatever, there, which is right on the way to Farm Sanctuary, I think one of you needs to get on that and do it because it's a beautiful spot. And wow, that would be so cool. I want to, I kind of want to do that only I don't think I should be the person to own a restaurant. <laughs> That's really not my thing. Well, that's funny because maybe part of the reason why it's on your mind is because we were watching Motel Makeover this whole past week as well, which is not vegan at all. And it's just about these these two millennials who decide to buy some old motels and convert them. It's a super cute, rose-colored, Instagram-ready, um, but l- truly lovely motel destinations. They call themselves moteliers, which is such a great word, e- even if it's made up. And yeah, and I think we should have that they're both women and they were both very, very feminine yet driven. And I love that combination. And, and they were cool. It was on Netflix. 
It's on Netflix, Motel Makeover. We told a friend of ours and she went home and then watched the whole season. So it is binge worthy. But I will say, you know, would be great to have a vegan version of that, like a vegan motel. And the New York Times had a story just the other day about how motels are having a moment. And they're like all of these motels in the Catskills, uh, which, you know, the Borscht Belt, where we just moved away from that are being snagged up for relatively small amounts of money, relatively, and and revitalized. And so I'm reading this, and there was this one motel in the Catskills that said, and every Friday it brings a vegan food truck for vegan comfort food. And I was like, what? What planet am I on? That was yeah, I need, cool. to, I need to go stay there. Yeah. What would a vegan, aside from having a vegan food truck, well, I mean, if you don't serve food, I guess... These motels, at least the one we saw on Netflix, they're they're a little bit more than just a place to stay overnight. They're kind of styling themselves as resorts. Right. I mean, that place was right on the on a beach on Lake Huron, the Great Lakes, our new habitat, in Canada. So they had a natural resort atmosphere, but they also had some planned activities. You know, like and they set up the bar to be really, really welcoming right. and lovely, and they had a restaurant there. So that it's obvious, like if you're going to make that one vegan, it would be. Uh, uh, easy because you would just have a vegan restaurant. It wouldn't be easy to get that many customers. <laughs> That's another problem. Wow. Uh, um, obviously, all your materials that you put in would be vegan, but you would want it to be something like having that vegan food truck come. That's a great idea, even if you don't have a restaurant. And you could plant other... I saw one planned activities of going mushroom hunting. That was in the Catskills where they have <laughs> loads of mushrooms. That's a vegan activity. Well, you could start thinking of all sorts of vegan resort stuff. Yes, and when I went to Pilakri, Scotland, I stayed at Seorsa 1875, which is a vegan hotel. And so I was thinking afterwards what was vegan about it, and it did have a fine dining experience. Like, it's it, it has a restaurant that is open to people besides just those staying there. So there is that, and it was all natural materials, and it was, you know, in a walkable area. But I totally agree with you. It would be great to have, like, different sort of elevated experiences for the vegan. The mushroom hunting is a perfect one, but like beyond that, different workshops, things like that. So anyway, we're just putting ideas oh out. Oh my there. God, I want this to happen so much. Right. I, we were just enthusing about our staycation, but now I want to go stay at a vegan motel. Was there anything else that we did on our staycation that's that springs to mind that you particularly enjoyed? You, We happened to walk into, because we were passing it, right after we, we ate at a place called Matilda's, and they had one salad, and we were able to add tofu to it. And so that was a big yeah. vegan meal experience. <laughs> it wasn't oh, that. It was actually a very good salad, but it really wasn't that exciting. But then we're walking down the street, and there was a candle-making place. And I was like, oh, God, we're definitely going to have to go in here uh, because I was with you. And um, we did. And and all of their candles were soy wax and vegan. And Well, no, so they had sunsuit that weren't necessarily vegan, but um, almost all of their stuff was vegan. So you made a vegan candle. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing I like for a staycation, you know, and and – and also there was one day that we picked sunflowers at this uh, at this place that you found that was actually part of a nonprofit. So I, I really enjoyed that. It's Greentopia, which is what it was benefiting. So it was like a dollar a stem. And we're actually sitting here in front of some beautiful sunflowers right now. So that was another sort of natural outside thing. And we went to the 
plant conservatory, which we've spoken about before here, which is like just a short walk from my house. So there were a lot of little staycation-y things that I, I greatly enjoyed. And now we're sort of back to reality and hopefully incorporating your idea of like sort of a tech-free day, a Sabbath, as it were. Yeah, I would like to set aside... I, I had never thought about the tech free. I think that's too much for me. But but I tend to, I mean, I think everybody's doing this, especially with working at home and everything, that work just kind of leaks into the weekend completely until there's just no division. So I'm trying to set aside one day of the weekend to just not work. Even if I really, really feel I have to, it'll just have to be done Monday morning. So that is one of my plans. And before we get totally off of this this conversation about traveling, you received a text from our friend Lydia, and I thought we could just read it because it, it just shows how much veganism is exploding everywhere. And I need to hold on to things like like this right now and with being drowned by the headlines. This is actually a good thing. Do you want to read it? Well, I, I should mention that Lydia, this is sort it's an honest vacation. She actually went to Croatia from New York. <laughs> That's a long trip. But but she has family there. So in a way, it wasn't like, you know, a v- innovative vacation. She was going to visit family and she's very familiar with it there. And she was she mentioned she sent me a text from Rijeka, which is apparently the small city from where she takes the boat to get to the island on which her family lives. And this is what she sent me. My cab driver took to me took me to this natural store and they had everything, every plant based milk you can think of, all different kinds of tofu, soy dog, sausage, vegan eggs. I'm very happy. My mother will kill me when she sees how much I bought. They even had vegan whipped cream. I could not believe it. Times they are changing. Now, like I said, she's very familiar with this area of Croatia and what she was able, she's been vegan a long time, what she was able to get before. I thought that was, pre- this is a very small city. Uh, and I thought that was, you know, a real sign of the times. Yeah, totally. I like that. So moving on, I just want to mention something really quickly before we get to our interview, which is that if you're listening to this, chances are you already know about the book coming out, Anti-Racism and Animal Advocacy, Igniting Cultural Transformation, which is a anthology that I edited that is in collaboration with Encompass. And uh, we have a book launch happening on September 15th, which is virtual. So if you'd like to sign up, it's just an hour long. It's eight to nine Eastern time. And the easiest way for me to tell you how to sign up is to go to Encompass's Instagram page, which is Encompass Movement, but movement has no vowels. So it's Encompass MVMT, and then you'll be able to uh, find in the link in bio, it goes to the Crowdcast page for you to sign up. We're going to do some giveaways, including my other books and some other really cool things. Tabitha Brown's new spice blend, which is like a hot item right now. It's completely sold out. Oh my God, I want that. Yeah, it's going to be one of the giveaways. So I hope to see you there. And just keep in mind that throughout the month of October, we at our hen house are going to be publishing the audio versions of the essays for the anthology in addition to your regular programming. Every Thursday, we're going to have a series of essays written by, mostly uh, narrated by the authors themselves. Anyway, very exciting stuff. Lots to look forward to. And one thing to look forward to is today's interview. Yeah, I'm sure everybody wants us to shut up so they can hear this interview. And if you haven't heard of her, I don't know, I I can't imagine why, but uh, Genesis Butler is a 14-year-old environmental and animal rights activist and one of the youngest people to ever give a TEDx talk, a 10-year-old's vision for healing the planet. Genesis, who went vegan at the age of six, has earned numerous awards and recognitions for her activism, in addition to being featured on an episode of Marvel's Hero Project by Disney+. 
She is currently leading the Youth Climate Save Movement, which focuses on animal agriculture's impact on climate change and aims to give all young voices a platform. She is also the founder of Genesis for Animals and is an ambassador for Earth Day's Food Prints for the Future. Her activism has been covered by global news outlets, including People Magazine, The Guardian, BBC, and many more. Janelle Butler is the mother of four children, including Genesis. She went vegan after Genesis told her she no longer wanted to consume animal products after finding out milk from cows is given to humans instead of their calves. Shortly after, Janelle and her family became animal activists. Janelle is a part-time educator, stay-at-home mother who is never home, and also helps operate Genesis for Animals and Youth Climate Safe. For those of you interested in the law and how it affects animals, we would like to recommend the North American Animal Law Conference in collaboration with the Canadian Animal Law Conference Scholars Track, which is going to showcase animal law and policy scholarship that is really geared toward deeper thought and consideration of of individual topics. And this conference features keynote-style format presentations. It features prominent scholars from across North America. And there's going to be an evening panel of renowned experts. It's going to be online, so all of you can try it out, see if this interests you. The speakers and panel will have ample opportunity for live, scholarly, moderated Q&A. So if this is something that you are interested in, I think that you should really consider attending this conference. It's an initiative of the Brooks Institute for Animal Rights Law and Policy. And it's really designed to attract scholars, but it's also going to expose and inspire others to to really think about these issues in a deep way, both in theory and practice. As I mentioned, it's a virtual event. It's going to be on Friday, October 1st. Uh, You can register for it, and that registration will also include the two-day Canadian Animal Law Conference, which I have attended in the past virtually, and which was a terrific, terrific conference. You can find out more information at thebrooksinstitute.org slash N-A-A-L-C hyphen 2021. Welcome to our Henhouse, Genesis and Janelle. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Genesis, I know that you have been on the podcast in the past, but it's definitely been a minute. So for those of you who aren't familiar, let's just revisit the beginning of this journey. Genesis, you stopped eating meat when you were just three years old after learning where your chicken nuggets came from. (laughs) I'm not sure you remember exactly what you were thinking, because sometimes we remember things like a series of stories, but do you think you always had a special place in your heart for animals? Yeah, I do. I think that I've always loved animals and I would always see them like on TV or on like my cartoons. So when my mom told me like chicken nuggets, like I never really thought of it like as it being an actual chicken. But when I found that out, I was devastated and I just couldn't eat it anymore because I loved animals so much. Do you think ever that cartoons have a a bad effect for kids in that they portray animals like children, and then when we meet actual pigs or chickens or dogs, they are just, they're very different from the cartoon-like counterpart. I think, like, some some of the characters, um, from when I would see them, they would be just, like, either, like, not really doing anything or, but I think that in-person animals are a lot different sometimes because they have, like, actual personalities when you're in person with them, and you can see that they're a lot different from what you thought before. 
Yeah, I can see that. I feel both ways about it. That's why I wanted to get your perspective. Sometimes I think it's really useful to have animals in cartoons to uh, help kids sort of recognize that animals are individuals. But then sometimes I wonder if like in cartoons such as Arthur, they're portrayed too they're portrayed too much like children. So I was curious your perspective on that. Chanel, let's go back in time. What was Genesis like as a baby? Did you always know that she would be a leader? Yeah, I I did. I always tell people because people are amazed. They sometimes they don't believe that she told me at three, she doesn't want to eat animals anymore. They think I'm lying or like making it up. But she's been very vocal. Like at 18 months, she was saying, you know, full on like three, four, you know, sentences at a time talking to me. So, and by the time she was three, like we were having like in-depth conversations, you know, so I just knew something, you know, something was, was different, even though she was my first, I just knew that it wasn't, it wasn't common for her to be so vocal at a young age. And just the questions that she would always ask me were questions you wouldn't think would come out of a toddler's mouth. Yeah, I bet. I think that would be so cool. I would be so disappointed if I had a child and they weren't exactly like that. I'd be like, where did you come from? (laughs) Janelle, I believe it was a couple years later after you explained that milk comes from mother cows, that Genesis said something along the lines of, well, that's like if somebody took your milk and gave it to humans instead of my little sister. And that's when the whole family turned it around and went vegan. So what has been the reaction to the other kids in your family, including, I think, a relatively new one? Yes. So I have I have five children. Uh, Genesis is the oldest, and then her brother, Anthony, is 12. He decided to go vegan with us after we passed by a dead squirrel on the ground in Genesis, and he was really upset. He started crying, and Genesis told him, well, that's how I feel like you know, when people eat animals and stuff and he was like, okay, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm going to join you guys. So it didn't take him very long. And then her sister Zion is 10 and she jumped on board right away. She was a toddler herself, but you know, she looks up to big sissy. So she's like, whatever she's doing, I'm going to do. And then my son Exodus, he's vegan from birth. He's seven. When I was pregnant with him, I asked Genesis if I should raise him vegan just to see what she would say. And she was like, yeah, you know, if it's not good for him eating animal products, like why would you give it to him? And anyways, uh, we're going to lead him. And so if he sees us not eating animals and drinking animal products, he'll know that's just the way it is. And then Luna's seven months old and she's another vegan from birth. So I have two vegan from birth kids all because of Genesis. That is so cool. (laughs) I love that. Janelle, (laughs) I have one more question for you before we get back to Genesis. There are so many stories of parents who discourage their kids from going vegan, who believe it's just a phase. Your response to Genesis's decision was the exact opposite. Why did you choose to be honest with her and with yourself, for that matter, about the reality of meat and dairy? Honestly, the first time she asked me, when she asked, you know, where does our food come from. And I told her the grocery store, I was happy with that response to her. And I thought she would take, you know, take what I said and just be okay with it. But she didn't. And she asked another time right after she's like, no, but where does it really come from? So at that moment, I knew I had a decision to make, you know, should I just tell her where it comes from or just, you know, play it off. And so I, I always told myself, cause I'm an educator. So I always, you know, raise my kids 
teaching them that, you know, you should question adults and ask them questions. And so <laughs> I told her, you know, oh, well, it, these are real animals. And even honestly, I didn't think she would really understand because she was only three. And well, we didn't have pets at the time. So I thought she would just, you know, would just blow right over her. She'd be like, okay, you know, whatever. And it didn't. So <laughs> I, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, she really doesn't want to eat animals. You know, when she said she could never do it, like you just seeing the horror in her eyes when I told her that we were eating like an actual animal, like I felt like the worst person in the world giving it to my child because she looked at me like kind of like I betrayed her, you know? And so, you know, that's when I just realized, okay, it's honesty is the best thing for my kids. So I'm glad I did, you know, but it was <laughs> and my husband, I, I let him know. I was like, hey, she doesn't want to eat animals. Like we really need to do something about this. And so we just decided to support her because, you know, just seeing the look in her eyes when we told her she was eating animals, I would feel so guilty continuing to eat animals in front of her. Even if she didn't, it would be like the worst thing ever. So I just always, you know, am honest. And if they have questions now, I just know, you know, they're asking for a reason. So I'll answer as honestly as possible. I know the Genesis is extraordinary. I mean, it seems like she was born extraordinary and just keeps getting more extraordinary. But I do wonder how many kids have that same instinct and then get shut down by their parents who are just not as, as open. So anyway, just throwing that out there because it's truly remarkable the way that you listened and the way that you really took it in and the way that you pivoted in, in such a big way and you emboldened your daughter to be this incredible ambassador for animals. So hats off to you, Janelle. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. And, and I just wanted to add to when she did ask me where her milk came from when I was nursing her sister when she was, I think she had just barely turned six. I always dreaded her asking me that question because I knew if she ever did that we would have to go vegan. So, <laughs> and now I'm okay with it. But then I was like, oh my gosh, when she asked, I was just like, oh great, we're about to go vegan now. Because I knew once she learned the truth, you know, she would not want to drink cow's milk. So I just went for it and let her know because, you know, I knew she was going to uh, find out regardless, but she's always been so great at asking and putting it in a way where it really makes people think that really touches them. Cause she asked me when I was nursing my baby. And I remember when she asked me, I started crying because as a mother who nursed, I've nursed all of my kids until they're two. So I've nursed a total of like 90 something months, <laughs> which is a lot. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So I just made a instant, you know, she helped me make that instant connection. So that was another good thing of her asking me stuff and asking me at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I've heard from other breastfeeding mothers that that can be very, very powerful in like either jostling them to go vegan and, and, or, and, and give up dairy or, or really just sort of sealing the deal like, oh, this is what animals instincts are and we're taking that away. And so I said that is a very, that's a very powerful story. Uh, speaking of a powerful story, Genesis, tell us a bit about your activist journey. I, a lot of people become vegan and stop there. What do you think made you take it further and start speaking out for animals? Well, after I found out like where my food was coming from and what animals had to go through, it made me want to do more for them. And I knew that 
being vegan was already doing a lot for the animals, but I just wanted to do whatever else that I could because I felt like there was more ways. And then me and my mom, we did some research and we found out about protests. So we went to a protest and I really loved it and I saw how powerful that they were. So I just decided to keep up with them. And then after that, I gave a TED talk on the environment and that like it wasn't really talked about a lot. It's still not as talked about, but it's more known than it was before. So I talked about how animal agriculture was harming the planet. And I felt that that was very important to get that message out. So I became a climate activist. So I really just basically the way that I started with my activism was I felt like there was more that I could do. So I became an activist. I love that. And I'm really appreciating how you're drawing the connection to the climate, because obviously, and especially in light of the UN report the other day, there are so many news headlines talking about how climate change is irreversible, but very few news headlines talking about animal agriculture. So can you talk a little bit more about what you see that disconnect being rooted in? Like, why do people care about the climate and still refuse to look at their daily choices and how the meat on their plate is contributing to this catastrophe? I think that there are some people that don't know about like what's happening um, with the environment and animal agriculture because it's not really publicized as it should be by like either big news it's not really out there that much as much as like fossil fuels is but i think that it's making me like really upset to see how there's so many articles coming out about how climate change we're not going to be able to fix it but then like it's scaring people and then they look and it's like oh well what can i do but there's not really anything that it's showing that they can do so i think that some people either don't know or they know but they either like don't really take it as seriously or they don't know how to get started. Mm -hmm. So then how do you conquer that? There's so many people listening to this podcast right now who want to work with their communities to make actual changes in their life and politically. How can you inspire others to take action like you're doing? I think whatever that they're passionate about, you can look up like ways to get involved or if there's like climate, because that's something that a lot of people are really passionate about because we all want a thriving planet to live on. And there's some really simple ways you can either just like post on Instagram with your food choices that you're eating and then like give like a recipe or you can post about the climate and ways that you're getting involved with activism. Like, for example, right now with COVID, you can't really do protests, but you can either join like a movement or you can do like chalk art. And when people walk by, they'll see it. So there's a lot of ways to get like the message out. It's just, you just have to find a way to start. And then once you start, it will be really good for you to like really start on your journey. And it will help you with a lot of different things like show you a lot of things in a way that you didn't see them before because now that I'm activist like simple things like going to like the grocery store and looking at like the meat section like that's like the worst thing so it really changes a lot for you. Wow I love that I agree that we can find a lot of sort of ways of dealing with the anxiety about the climate and about what's happening to animals just by taking small actions and I think that's really inspiring. And Genesis, I know that you have founded not one, but two organizations. 
Genesis for Animals and Youth Climate Change. Can you tell us about both and the kind of work they do? Well, Genesis for Animals is I donate money to sanctuaries and it's like they have like either medical bills or after the fire, I donated to a lot of sanctuaries um, because I knew that a lot of them needed help and that they needed new places for their animals to go. I help with like basically anything that can help sanctuary owners because I saw that when I went to sanctuaries that sanctuary owners do need help and that they put themselves before the animals. So I just wanted to do whatever I could to help them. And then Youth Climate Save is a bunch of youth from around the world and we created chapters. We have, I think, 80 now. We have them in Africa, in Dubai, in England, just everywhere. And it's just youth and we're speaking up for animal agriculture and how it's harming our planet. And we're giving ways for people to get involved and ways that people can help and what they can do in their everyday life to help lower their carbon footprint. Very cool. Janelle, Janelle, I have no doubt that Genesis was self-motivated in her activism. And it seems to me that one of the very best things you've done as a parent is give her the mic and, and allow her to just be herself and support her in her journey. Can you talk a little bit about what you have done to help Genesis realize her goals? It's so crazy. I always say that Genesis has always guided her own life since she was a little girl. I'm just like in the passenger seat, making sure we get to where we need to go because she's always been, you know, really goal driven. And <laughs> like if she wants something, you know, she's going to do it. She's really big in manifesting things too, you know, so she has a really powerful mind. It's kind of scary sometimes, you know, but I just, you know, just encourage her and help her. Like, you know, for example, when she was in fourth grade, she's started becoming really like miserable in the public school system and was, you know, was telling me, you know, I just feel like I'm kind of wasting my time sitting in a desk learning some facts that I'm, you know, not going to need in the future. I already know what I want to do in life. I'm, I want to save animals for the rest of my life and speak about them, you know, and, and help them. And so she wanted to be homeschooled. So we homeschooled the next year and it, in fifth grade from fifth all the way up till just recently when she was an eighth grader a couple of years ago. And uh, it gave her the time to still learn what she needs to learn, but she was also able to do what she wanted to do. You know, she said, when I get older, I want to travel the world and speak about animals. And she ended up doing that when she was 11. So <laughs> it happened like almost instantaneously. It was so <laughs> bizarre. And then even, you know, when she was in fourth grade, you know, when we were about to homeschool, she's like, well, I want to give a TED talk. So, you know, cause I said, let's set some goals. Like, what do you want to do, you know, in the future? She's like, oh, maybe give a TED talk like when I'm in high school. And then literally like two weeks after she set that goal, we got a call from TEDx. I don't know like how they even knew who she was at the time. She was only nine. She hadn't even turned 10. And they were like, we'd love her to come on, you know, do a TED talk about animal agriculture. I mean, not animal agriculture, about animals. And so um, she turned 10 when she gave the talk, but she was nine when she went in for the interview. She still had to be interviewed. I mean, it was like a total adult interview with like 10 people on a panel sitting in front of her and she had to stand up and give her talk. And it's crazy because there was like 500 people who applied and they only chose uh, 20 to come for the in-person interview. And they give them the option of presenting a speech, like what they would do. And out of the 20 adults, well, 19 adults and one child, she was the only one that prepared a speech. 
you know, and it was optional, but she was just like, why didn't they do it? Like they're adults. Like she was just like shocked that they wouldn't even take the extra step to, to do it. So um, once she did that, I told her, I was like, oh, you're definitely going to get this because <laughs> they see how, how motivated you are. So I think that gave her like the courage to keep, you know, setting her goals big because, you know, she kept accomplishing them. So whatever she says she wants to do, I'm always like, okay, yeah, you can do it because you've done everything else. So um, I think that's just the only thing that, you know, I really had to do was, was encourage her. And, you know, when she tells me she wants to do something and say like, okay, cool, go for it. And that's about it. Mm, I love that so much. You're such a good parent. So <laughs> Genesis, a lot of people listening to this, in, including me, we see you through the lens of, you know, this is an ambassador for animals. We know Genesis. She's out there fighting the good fight. She's an animal activist. She's a climate activist. She's a nonprofit person. But you're still a kid who goes to school and hangs out with other kids. So how do the other kids in your, I'll call it your regular life, react to your having such strong positions on these issues and on your fame. I think that a lot of them think that it's really cool. Now veganism like isn't as like shocking like to be like if like you're vegan like it's not like oh like you're vegan or like it's not like oh what is that like I never heard of that like now it's like oh that's really cool but I think a lot of them they don't really have any bad reactions they're mostly positive because they know that that what I'm doing is good and I let them like try my vegan meals and they like them a lot and they think it's really creepy how it tastes so similar to the real thing so I think that when they like know like veganism isn't like a bad thing and what it is like how you're impacting the planet when you're vegan because everyone wants a thriving planet so I think that a lot of youth have really like positive mindset about veganism that's cool I'm curious about, I don't really know how to ask this, so I'm just going to ask it, but like, I'm in my 40s, I'm scared, I have what they call, I think they call it climate doomism, and you're so much younger than me, and you have presumably so much longer to live than I do, so are you scared? Like, how do you look at the future? Mm -hmm. Well, I am scared, but I think that if people continue to fight for this, and especially youth, because a lot of youth right now are getting involved and are climate activists. And I think that we are going to be able to fix this because a lot of youth right now are acting like world leaders. And when that's a change, then I think that we're heading in the right direction because youth are very powerful. So I think that we are going to be able to fix this and that there are people that are working on this. So I'm very optimistic about this. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I'll ride on the coattails of your optimism. <laughs> now, I never expected to ask anyone this question, but tell us about your work as a Marvel superhero. <laughs> Um, when I did that, I think, so we first got contacted and it was like a Disney thing, which I thought was super cool because I watched Disney growing up. So I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I was really surprised that they would want to put someone who's vegan on it because, um, that was never really common when I would watch it. Um, and then I did the full like interviews and everything we were done filming. And then that's when they told me that it was for Marvel. And I was really surprised. My siblings were really happy because they watched like every Marvel movie 
movie. And I was really happy about that because I knew that it would get my message out more and that it could help some kids also if they want to go vegan. Um, just to like know that there's other kids out there that are vegan. So that was really cool. I like your view on PR as a form of activism. Like, I like that you went into this not only thinking, oh, I'm going to be a Marvel superhero, but also thinking, and this is going to spread the word. It seems like the bottom line for you is like, is this going to spread the word? And if so, I'll do it. And speaking of which, another question I seldom get to ask people is about their relationship with the Pope. Can you tell us about the collaboration with Million Dollar Vegan and that campaign? So I did that with the Pope in 2019. Um, and we went to Rome. We went to New York. We went all over just to film these short documentaries with different people. We did one with like the senator of New York and we did them with a scientist named Joseph Poor. And when we went to Rome, we didn't know if we were going to be able to get into the Vatican, but then we were like able to, but we were really like surprised because we didn't think that that was going to be able to happen. And when we got in, we gave the letter to someone who was like, I think he was like the second highest person to the Pope. And then I gave the letter to him and he said that he would pass the message to the Pope. So then the Pope got the message and then he sent me a letter back and the letter was saying that he's really proud of all of my activism but he never really gave an answer if he would or not he was just kind of saying that he was proud of me but I was still happy that it got the message out to him and also a lot of people still did go vegan for Lent so I think it was still a huge success because we were changing a lot of people's minds but he never really gave like an answer back but it was a really cool experience to meet a bunch of different people and then I got close to the Pope. Like we went to, um, he had like a speaking thing, like a hearing. So we went and we watched it and I was going to ask, but like, they wouldn't like, like let me, I guess like the security guards would like look and will like push him to like the side. And then, um, before that someone asked and was like, Oh, are you Genesis? And that worked for Vatican. So I think that they kind of like knew that I would ask the questions so that that's why they pushed him away like that. But yeah, I think that it was a huge success because it changed a lot of people's mind and a lot of people stuck with it. Did you have hopes that he would go vegan? And if you did, what do you imagine stood in his way? Like, why do you think he was noncommittal? I think that like I did really want him to go vegan and I thought that maybe he would, but during the time he didn't something happen like oh there was the whole scandal with the church and so she yeah so she that they were telling her like he this he might not go vegan because it'll make people even more mad so <laughs> so i think that that kind of stops <laughs> that's like everyone has that exact same feeling in this case you were not dealing with your next door neighbor you were dealing with like literally the post, <laughs> but that is so relatable on some fundamental level. <laughs> it's so weird. Oh, yeah. And it, it was really crazy when we were, when we made it to Rome. As soon as we got there, we started being followed by security guards and police officers because the Rome press uh, agency, they actually posted about Genesis coming because before she went, 
uh, Million Dollar Vegan did put it out there in the media that she would be going to Rome. So it was like they were expecting us to come. It was really weird. It was like out of a movie. And Genesis is so humble when she talks about like the experience. But for me, I'm always just like, oh my gosh, like I still to this day can't believe it happened. When we got to the Vatican, like the security kept following us and looking at us. And um, they actually detained us for about two hours and asked for our passports and just told us that's because we're filming. So they had to get clearance. But the pollution studios that we were with, Asher Brown, he knew that it was okay to film there, that they didn't need to do that to everyone. So we kind of knew something was up. And then uh, after they let us go and, you know, Genesis was like, oh my gosh, are we going to be arrested? Like we're sitting there, you know, waiting, like what the heck is going on? And then when they let us go, literally like 10 minutes later, she got a DM on her Instagram. She got a direct message uh, from someone saying like, you don't know who I am, but here's a number to someone who can get you in the Vatican. So it was like, it was like a movie, you know, <laughs> like like the Da Vinci Code or something, you know, like we were getting wow. these little clues and being followed it, you know. And so luckily we had someone from Rome with us. So she called uh, the phone number and the person was like, how did you get my number? Like, who are you? And like was really upset, like yelling at her kind of. And then uh, she, when she explained why we were here, he was like, okay, come tomorrow and I'll let you guys in the Vatican. And it was just like that, that easy. And we just showed up and they let us in. They had our name on a list and let us right in. So when we were in the back of the Vatican, like I grew up in a Catholic family. And so, you know, just back there was just like thinking like, oh my goodness, like my grandmother, when I tell her I'm in the back of the Vatican, like she's going to like freak out, you know, <laughs> and we were the only people back there. And it's funny because, yeah, we're, you know, we're all people of color and women. So, you know, everyone was looking at us like in the elevator, like there's men with like big spears, like the, you know, the guards and stuff were looking like, who are these people like in the Vatican? And so it was just like a really, really surreal experience. And we got a tour of the Vatican. We got to see uh, Da Vinci's last painting that no one's seen. I don't even think it's in books. It's inside the office of the priest, the high priest that we went to. And he gave us all the crosses. And he said that they were all blessed from the Pope, that he had just got a blessed from the Pope directly, especially for uh, Genesis and all of us. So Genesis gave hers to my mom and I give mine to my grandmother. And they were like in tears. It was like, you know, wow. they said, bring us a, bring us a cross, but they didn't expect us to bring them one. Of the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. That is, a, that's incredible. Janelle, I have to ask, do you ever worry about Genesis being in the public eye on such contentious issues? Um, I do, you know, especially cause she is going after a, uh, multi-billion dollar industry, you know, the dairy and the meat industry, they're both multi-billion dollar industries. Um, but what keeps me, you know, what gives me hope that she'll be okay and, you know, keeps me positive is the fact that um, she's known that this is what she's supposed to do. Uh, when she was around four or five, she would tell me that uh, she was sent here by, you know, by her ancestors, but she never knew why. And she would just tell me, and it was, you know, at that time, it wasn't even something that was strange because, you know, I'm indigenous, I'm Apache, uh, Native American. So it wasn't, you know, something that I was like, whoa, was this kid crazy, you know? And so I would always tell her, well, why are you here? She's like, I don't know. I just know that I'm here for a reason and that you're supposed to be my mom because you're going to help me do what I'm here to do. And so once she went vegan, maybe like, 
maybe like six months later, you know, she told me, mom, I, I know why I'm here. You know, I'm here for a reason. And I was like, oh my goodness, like you haven't talked about this since you were a little kid. Like, I can't believe you remember you would tell me. And she said, yeah, you know, now that I'm vegan, I know why I'm here. I'm here to save animals because once animals are gone from the planet, humans are going to be next. So she's known the severity of the issue with the planet and what's going on since she was, you know, before I think she even thought she knew. And so that just mm -hmm. stays with me in the back of my mind, like knowing she's going to be guided and continue to be guided. She has since she was a little kid and, you know, she is here for a reason. So we just keep that in mind. We've had, you know, we've had people within the movement. We had someone harass our family for probably six or seven years because they were, they just didn't want Genesis to do what she does. So that gave me the experience and, you know, to kind of be mindful of who I let around my child and, you know, who we let in our, her team. Cause she, she has a team, like she's 14 and she has a team, which is, <laughs> I was like, I want a team. And so uh, <laughs> we make uh, decisions and, and she takes part in it to make sure that she does stay safe. The only time I was like, kind of like, Oh, is she going to be okay? Was when she was in the Vatican and we were, we had a room, a Airbnb that where you can see the Vatican from our bedroom. And so it was really crazy to see the Vatican, like so close. And I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, my child's here challenging the Pope, like one of the greatest leaders of the world, you know? And I was like, what if they don't like it? So I literally got no sleep the whole time we were in Rome because I stayed up like looking at the door and looking at her. <laughs> and I didn't mean to be paranoid, but it was just really, you know, especially because there was like police like that were following us and stuff, you know? So uh, yeah, so that was the only time I was ever like, uh-oh, like <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I I can't imagine. I mean, it's funny because as Genesis was talking, I was thinking back to when I was a teenager, I used to write to Stephen Sondheim and I would be so excited when he would write me back because <laughs> Genesis, Genesis is getting letters from the the Pope. I'm like, okay, well, you know, to each their own. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> so Genesis, I feel like the voices of, of kids are obviously hugely important in the climate fight since you're the ones who are going to live with the consequences, unfortunately. I'm curious, in light of the past year, with the growing crises, whether it's the fires or the floods or the migration, have people started to wake up about the climate, especially kids in your generation? Do you feel like it's changing? Yeah, I think that kids are very like passionate, um, especially because we're the ones that are going to be left with this climate and we don't want a messed up environment. But I think that the message is getting out there more. But I think that there are still some people that don't know because if they knew, I think that they would have changed because if you know like how much of an impact that your food choices have and if you also know that there are other options for you to change, then you can go plant-based. And I don't see a reason why not to, because if there's other options and if you don't need to eat these products, then why do it? So I think that there are a lot of people that are speaking up about it and that a lot of people are changing. Good. I hope so. I just have one more question for you, Genesis, and then I hope that you and and Janelle will hang on because I want to ask you a few additional questions for our block bonus content. But Genesis, so you're 14 now. What's next? Like, what do you hope to do with the rest of your teenage years? Mm. Well, I want to own a sanctuary when I get older. 
But the job that I want right now isn't like, 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 well, I've wanted since I was really little to be like a barista because I think that that would be like a really awesome job. So maybe I want to, when I'm older, open up like my own coffee shop and use a lot of plant-based milks because I think that we need more coffee shops like that. And I just want to keep on like with speaking for the animals and hopefully I can travel soon to speak in person. So, yeah. I love that. Maybe the coffee shop can be like, in a corner of the sanctuary and nobody gets upcharged for dairy free milk because that that makes me bananas like aren't we past that aren't we past the dollar upcharge like come on that's so true anyway uh i were i am so excited about everything you're saying and i was also just thinking about janelle i was just thinking about how genesis said oh i think i want to do a ted talk when i'm in high school and then two weeks later she did and she just said, oh, I want a sanctuary. And now I feel like you're going to have a whole lot of chickens and pigs in your backyard <laughs> in like two weeks. <laughs> that is so true. And it's so funny, too, because you can tell like a lot of times people forget she's a kid, you know, because she's still she is, you know, she barely became a teenager a couple of years ago. But then, you know, when she speaks like even a barista, you know, that's <laughs> it's awesome, you know, that she's just like, I want to be a barista. And she's like, I'm 14 now. I think I can get a job. And I told her, well, if you do get a job at a coffee shop, you can give everyone vegan milk and not give anyone the option. So <laughs> she probably wouldn't last long as an employee. <laughs> I love that answer, too. That was like amazing that we're just talking about all of this unbelievable work that you've been doing, Genesis, and I love that you want to be a barista. <laughs> so speaking of which, I know I said that was the last question, but this is actually the last question before the block bonus. I didn't ask you about your work with American Girl. Tell us about your work with American Girl. I was really like super happy about that because when I was younger, I've always wanted an American Girl doll. And they did like a little interview. There was two other activists, one named Iris and one named I think Kate Haven and we're climate activists. We were just talking about what we're passionate about and what we're doing to get involved. And they surprised us with our own like dolls and like they're like based on us and they look really similar to us. So I was super happy about that. And it really helped get my message out to a bunch of youth that want to like either get involved or that don't know already. So I was really happy about that. That's so cool. Well, I love it. Please hang on the line for the bonus content, but Genesis and Janelle, thank you so much. Janelle, can you tell us where people can follow Genesis online and support her effort? Uh, yes. So uh, Youth Climate Save is on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Uh, that's her youth climate organization. And then her Instagram is Genesis Butler underscore. And right now her Facebook um, account, she needs, she's going to get another one. We had an issue with her last one. It just mysteriously, she couldn't get onto it anymore. And we're still trying to figure out and there's no one we can contact, which I'm kind of bummed about. She, that was her very first start in social media was on, was on Facebook. So that's basically the, oh, and then Genesis for Animals on Instagram. Okay. Wow. That's annoying. I, I don't like it when we can't reach people at, at these social media places, but We'll be sure to stay, we'll, we'll keep the show notes updated with Genesis's current Instagram handles across all boards. Thank you both so very much. Genesis, I'm such a big fan of yours. You're just a wonderful, incredible Thank human. You. Janelle, I, hats off to you. Like I said, you're such a 
you're such a badass mom. Oh, thank and I you. I think you're doing incredible work. So, yeah, thank you both so much. Please stay on the line with me and we will catch up with you soon. Jasmine here. We're so excited to announce the upcoming release of the groundbreaking new book, Anti-Racism and Animal Advocacy, Igniting Cultural Transformation, published by Lantern Books and Media. Inspired by Encompass's racial equity trainings, this collection of essays was written by farmed animal protection leaders, myself included, who are committed to exploring and prioritizing racial equity as we work to create a more effective and just animal protection movement. We wish to document our stories and processes in an exploratory space from which we can grow and use our words to hold ourselves and our peers accountable, ultimately creating new paths forward. I'm lucky enough to be the editor of the book. The only way to be an effective animal activist is to prioritize anti-racism within our advocacy. This essay collection will provide a new, necessary way forward. Anti-Racism in Animal Advocacy, Igniting Cultural Transformation is new as of September 2021 and is a collaboration between Our Hen House, Encompass, Sentient Media, and Lantern Books and Media. And we've got even more exciting news. Our Hen House is honored to roll out an audio series of the book, launching this October 2021. Narrated by the essay authors themselves, the four-part series will air every Thursday throughout October. This will be in addition to our regular podcast schedule, of course. We cannot wait to share it with you. To find out more about the book and to pre-order it, visit encompassmovement.org book. That's encompassmovement.org book. Anxiety's rising. We have some doozies this week, I gotta tell you. Our first story, I can't stop wondering what's going on inside my cat's head. This is an opinion column from the New York Times by Farhad Manju, who is a columnist, a regular columnist for the Times. And they start out by talking about their new kittens. And apparently they had not had pets before. And as part of celebrating that the pandemic is over, which, you know, (laughs) they had to admit that was not a good reason, they decided to get two kittens. Now, the first indication that there might be something missing here in the analysis is is that these are described as Bengal kittens. So apparently they're purebreds. And but Farhad is is really, really intrigued by them in in very interesting ways. And uh Leo and, and Luna are the names of the kittens and uh they're five months old. And they have made Farhad consider the question of a cat's consciousness. And they talk about consciousness a lot. And that's a really interesting topic. And they mention that this gets to what Chalmers calls the hard problem of consciousness, the mystery over why subjective experience arises out of biological processes. And they they consider like what's going on with the cats? Is this just instinct? Is as as Descartes thought? What are they thinking? Is there any way to know what these kittens are thinking? And and 
Farhad points out that modern scholarship has pretty much undone Descartes' view. One quote, one reason to suspect animals possess consciousness is that we are animals and we possess consciousness, suggesting that creatures with similar evolutionary histories and brain structures, including all mammals, feel in similar ways. Okay. Talks about the the document by a group of neuroscientists in 2012 declaring that the weight of evidence indicates that that many animals uh, have consciousness. It's hardly controversial at this point. Then Farhad goes on to talk about, well, what's the difference? And this is the inter- this is the money quote. Consciousness matters because it confers ethical and moral status. If we agree that our dogs and cats are conscious, then it becomes very difficult to argue that pigs and cows and whales and even catfish and chickens are not. Yet if all these creatures experience consciousness analogous to ours, then one has to conclude that our species is engaged in a great moral catastrophe. Because in food production facilities all over the world, we routinely treat non-human animals as Descartes saw them, as machines without feeling or experience. This view lets us inflict any torture necessary for productive efficiency. Wow. And then Farhead just goes on. <laughs> like, like, like they have said nothing. Like, like this is just an interesting aside. Does Farhead not notice that this means that the world has to change the way it behaves or it is engaging in a great moral catastrophe? Uh, they do go on to talk about robots. That's the rest of the column, pretty much. And, and, and points out at the end, before Leo and Luna arrived in my home, I rarely had occasion to consider the inner lives of non-humans, which is, you know, unfortunate, Farhead. Like, there are animals everywhere. Well, I, I, I digress. Quote, but cats are a trip. In their everyday, ordinary strangeness, they seem to demand you puzzle out why they're doing what they're doing. Well, Farhad, you have a little bit more to puzzle out. Just says that. Just says that that there's just virtually no question that other animals are conscious. If that's true, which they have just said that is true, point out that that means that we are engaging in a great moral catastrophe and then just drops it. What? What is going on? Uh, sorry. All right. Our next story. This is from Drovers, which is an industry publication. Envir- I love this story. Environmental group outbids rancher for grazing lease. I think this is incredibly important. And when you hear about it, you're going to too. All right. The Western Watersheds Project. Why are we not doing All right. I know I'm digressing too much. The Western Watersheds Project bid $8,200 last week. $8,200. Like, that's not an enormous amount of money for a 20-year grazing lease on 620 acres in central Idaho's Sawtooth Valley. That means that instead of animals being grazed on 620 acres for 20 years, that land is going to be conserved. As this article points out, because this article is from an industry publication funded by donors, environmental groups such as WWP are not burdened by profit motives. <laughs> they're, they're not burdened by profit motives. Like that's the most hilarious expression from grazing livestock and can gladly outbid ranchers who have held leases for years. Ranchers see it as an alarming precedent. Oh God, I love this. Why, why are we not doing, why, like I could come up with, with $8,200, like with a, you know, a bunch of us could, could get together, put that, 
put that together and get a grazing lease for 20 years. You know, the industry won't survive if they, it's not like then after 20 years, they would just come back. They'd be dead. WWP says it will convert the grazing lease into a conservation lease to allow for more use by wildlife, such as pronghorn antelope, elk, and bighorn sheep. Uh, and the industry is, of course, very upset about this. It, this is a quote from Cameron Mulroney as with the Idaho Cattlemen's Association. It's a big concern when we start taking productive ground that is properly managed and properly grazed and decide we're going to convert it to conservation. Ranchers are themselves conservation-minded in keeping lands healthy while also preventing overgrowth that could result in more wildfires. Apparently, apparently, like that, that we, we have to have cows grazing in order to prevent wildfires. Unbelievable. I love this story. We have to, we have to all get together and do this. Labeling of cell-based meat on front burner. This is from Feedstuffs, another industry uh, publication. This is a really interesting development and talk about rising anxieties. All right. You may recall uh, that that a while back, I think it was in March of 2019, it's somewhere in here. But anyway, FSIS, which is the Food Safety Inspection Service from, in USDA, and the FDA kind of kind of got together and decided that they were going to be working together to monitor and, and regulate cell-based meats. And so uh, recently, the USDA's FSIS, that's the Food Safety and Inspection Service, announced uh, an advance notice of proposed rulemaking to solicit comments and information regarding the labeling of meat and poultry products. Now, now there, look at the just... I just want you to remember the title of this article, Labeling of Cell-Based Meat on Front Burner, because the article goes on to talk about how this is going to happen and th the fact that this is kind of it. Other than labeling, FSIS does not intend to issue any other new food safety regulations for the cell-cultured food products under its jurisdiction. So they already require sanitation, hazard analysis, and critical control point systems, they, these are already applicable. They don't think they need any other safety requirements. So that is really amazing. But, you know, labeling, that's the thing that's really on the table now. So the, the things they want to take into account when they're doing this labeling is consumer expectations about the labeling of these products, especially in light of the nutritional composition and organoleptic qualities. That's taste, color, odor, or texture. Names for these products that would be neither false nor misleading. Well, that seems appropriate. Economic data. What? I don't, I don't know. And any consumer research related to naming, labeling nomenclature for products made using animal cell culture technology. I wonder who's doing that research. I hope it's not just the industry. So um, the Alliance for Meat, Poultry, and Seafood Innovation and the North American Meat Institute both applaud the release and uh, say that this is an important step and it's important to gather information from the industry and the public to form a labeling framework that fosters transparency, consumer confidence, and a level playing field, while also aligning with longstanding law and policy. They say they're fine with it. They thank the USDA for their continued engagement, <laughs> blah, 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 corporate speak. And then the U.S. Cattlemen's Association 
also welcomed the announcement as an important step towards establishing a truthful and transparent labeling and regulatory framework for cell-cultured foods. All right, now wait for This is uh, the money quote. As outlined in its 2018 petition for rulemaking submitted to USDA FSIS, the terms beef and meat should be retained exclusively for products derived from the flesh of a bovine animal. But does that mean they can't call pork meat? <laughs> Harvested in the traditional matter, uh, which means like, you know, being tortured and having their throats slit. Uh, and it will be providing additional input and feedback to the requested topics in its written response. I bet it will. Boy, they want to hold on to the term meat and they want to apply meat just to just to food from dead cows. Like, that's not even what it means. Like, they, this is going to be a fight. And, and, you know, I'm all for things not being deceptive. I just think that not being deceptive is all to the animal's benefit because I think these new products are going to, it's going to be a feature, not a bug. But if they're not allowed to use terms like beef and meat, even if they're being completely clear that it is a cell-based product, even then, no matter how clear they are, that it's a vegan, well, if you consider these products vegan, I, I don't know what we're going to do with the term vegan. But even if every consumer is completely informed they about what they're actually buying. They still don't want them allowed to use the terms beef and meat, which, you know, is ridiculous. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Apparently, they're gathering comments. You can visit the FSIS website to to do that. Uh, but, you know, the industry is going to have huge, huge influence here. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and if you're able, you can support us by joining the flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year, or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with. Another great way to support us is to leave a fabulous review wherever you listen to podcasts or on Apple Podcasts, or you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Our Hen House. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And of course, tell your friends about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. I'm Jasmine Singer. Thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan. That's me. And to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast and to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Jocelyn Martinez for her work doing research and for Eric Montgomery of Podcast Haven for his work editing. Thanks to Lori Johnston of Two Trick Pony for her graphic design services. We will be back next week with a brand new show. So don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are a Flock member, remember to check your email or the Flock Facebook page on Tuesday for your bonus content. Thanks so much for tuning in and for changing the world for animals.